Welcome, my friend. Welcome to the Story Q podcast. This is episode number four, and I am your ever humble host, Frank Erickson. Nice to have you along. Hope uh, you are enjoying the last couple of days of spring as we roll into summertime. And uh, hopefully, those of you that uh, have kind of been in the Midwest have managed to stay out of harm's way with all the rain and all the flooding that has been going on. We're aware of that and uh, let you know uh, you're all in our thoughts and prayers. And hopefully you can get uh, outside and and fire up those grills and smokers and uh, get back to what is most important in our lives, which is spending time with the family and friends and enjoying some great barbecue. That said, I want to talk a little bit about, and I'll try to keep this short if that's possible for me, about um, my cooking last week and some things that I tried that worked and some things that didn't quite so work. Actually, everything was pretty good. But let me tell you what transpired. My wife was out of town for a week. She went out to San Diego to visit a high school friend, and she happens to be a twin, and her sister, my wife isn't a twin, her friend is the twin, and her twin sister's daughter was graduating college, so she went out there to spend a week in uh, what turned out to be cloudy San Diego, but she had a great time and, and, and some great fellowship. So when she was gone, I had nothing else to do but fire up my, my cookers. And uh, as you may know, I have a, a Weber Smoky Mountain cooker. I have the 22-inch variety. And I've also had for a couple of years a pit barrel cooker. And if you're not aware of the pit barrel cooker, it looks like a barrel. If you can imagine a 55-gallon drum Um, This, I believe, is about 30 gallons, and uh, I'm not sure how I stumbled across the pit barrel cookers, but um, a couple of years ago, I was doing a podcast with the National Barbecue Association, and I found out about pit barrel cookers, and it turned out that the guy that designed them and builds them and sells them lived about an hour away from me in Bennett, Colorado. Bennett is just about eh, maybe 50, 60 miles east of Denver, and I'm about 20 miles north in Boulder. So I thought, well, I got to talk to this guy. And I get Noah Glanville on the phone, just a super guy, a veteran of the armed services. And um, we start talking about the pit barrel cookers and, and what they do and how they do it. And I won't get into too much of that because you can go to the site and check it out. It's pitbarrelcooker.com. But he was kind enough at the end of, at the end of uh, our, our interview and our podcast. He said, you know, I'd like you to have one of these. Now, they're very inexpensive. I think right now they're going for about 290 bucks. That's shipped right to your front door. That's a heck of a deal. I mean, shipping can be almost 100 bucks these days, depending on what you're shipping. But he sends me the pit barrel cooker. So my friend Mike comes over, my barbecue buddy, and we decide we're going to videotape my opening the box and taking out all the parts and, and, uh, and accessories and putting it all together. And we're going to put some ribs and chicken right on the pit barrel cooker. And then, uh, of course, we're going to edit out the part while we're waiting and hanging around looking goofy. And then we'll, we'll just cut right to the part where we're getting into the food. So we fire up the cooker just the way Noah says to do it. And we get the fire going, and in 20 minutes, we've got our ribs all prepped and our chicken all prepped. And we put the ribs on first, naturally, because they're going to take a little bit longer than the chicken. But everything gets done, and we're all excited about this. And uh, we take the food off, and we bite into it, and it's horrible. It's absolutely... I mean, it was borderline... I'm such a barbecue fanatic. I ate it anyhow, but it wasn't that great. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to throw out three slabs of ribs and uh, and a couple of chickens. I mean, it, it wasn't that awful, but it wasn't good. It wasn't good at all. And I called up Noah. I said, what am I doing wrong? 
Because if you go to the Pit Barrel Cooker site, there's even a Facebook group called Pit Barrel Cooker, and everybody raves about this cooker and not so much the, well, the cooker's tremendous, but the food that it produces, everybody's raving about this. And I'm going, wait a minute, I, something something went awry here and I need to figure out what this is. So with Noah's help, we start talking about it. And I'm telling him what I did. And he goes, sounds right, sounds right. And he was trying, we were trying to get together so that he could see what I was doing or he wanted me to have uh, to come over to his place so he could show me what to do. And uh, it, it never worked out. I had some knee surgery and things like that, and I was never able to to get together with him, unfortunately. But last week, you know, so I've been, here is my, my basically brand new, cooked on two or three times pit barrel cooker sitting in my tough shed. And I'm thinking, well, should I sell it? Should I, you know, should I give it back? And I thought, you know what? This was a gift. This was a generous gift from from a guy who believes in his product. He's an entrepreneur. Uh, he's selling these things like crazy. There's nothing wrong with the cooker. I'm doing something wrong. So last weekend, I rolled this thing out. And I, there's a, he has a new, he's got a new site, a new, some great videos. And you watch these videos of him cooking ribs and brisket and everything else you can possibly imagine, including pizza. And, um, I mean, your mouth starts watering, and you, I go, I've got to cook. I've got to cook on this. So I go out, I get some baby back ribs, I get a couple of chickens, and I get them all ready to go. And I use the chimney method instead of, you can use chimney or lighter fluid. I use decide to use the chimney method. I get the cooker going, I put my ribs in, and I thought, you know, the only, the only variable that I haven't tried is, is to use a different seasoning. Now, the, the pit barrel cooker, aside from coming with the cooker itself and everything you need to get going, it also comes with the pit barrel cooker. There's two spices. There's the beef and game seasoning, and then there's the all-purpose rub. And either one of those, you know, Noah uses and everybody else uses. And I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I don't like the seasoning. Who knows what it was? So I decided to try a different kind of rub. Um... I put the ribs on. I did exactly what I said. You know, he said, you know, I waited till, you know, they were starting to pull apart at the bone. I put some uh, some barbecue sauce on them. And actually that weekend, um, last weekend, I had ordered some of Rod Gray's, if you're familiar of Rod, uh, of Rod Gray of Pellet Envy, one of the top barbecue cooks on the competition circuit. He has introduced a line of products. He has uh, some products for ribs and chicken and some product uh, for brisket. So I ordered his sampler pack, which is two bottles of sauce, two containers of his rubs, and I used the Zero to Hero rub. That's what I put on my uh, my ribs, and then uh, his uh, his IPO barbecue sauce, which is meant to go with the Zero to Hero rub. And I was a little concerned at first because I start, you know, figure you got to shake the barbecue sauce bottle, right? It settles at the bottom. Well, this stuff has the uh, consistency of water. It's that thin. And, you know, Rod mentions right on there, don't worry about that this is thin. This gets into the meat. It's a thin sauce. It's meant to be thin. I've won hundreds of competitions with this. So I'm going, hey, he knows better than I do. So I put this on. And um, like I said, I wait till the ribs get just about tender that you can just about pull the, you know, the, the bones are starting to show. They're starting to feel like they can be pulled apart. So I take them out, I sauce them down, I put them back in for another 20 minutes or so, take them out, 
And I don't know if it was just the rub and the sauce, or I finally did things correctly, but they were amazing. And as good as the ribs were, the chicken was even better. I mean, it was terrific. So I am, uh, I am back to being a. Well, I've always been a fan of the pit barrel cooker because I think it's a neat product, and there isn't a nicer guy out there than Noah Glanville and his wife Amber, who run the company. They recently moved uh, from Colorado to Kentucky, of all places, uh, and but they've just got a, a really super product. So if you want to check this out, it's pitbarrelcooker.com, and I have finally learned to cook on it, and now I like the food so much. I'm kind of thinking of selling my Weber Smoky Mountain. I'll probably keep it around because I want to do some competitions. And I think it's neat to cook on two different things. And sometimes even to just cook on two different things for your friends and then let them decide which one do you like better, you know, before you go out and invest in uh, in all the things you need for a barbecue contest and then pay your entry fee into a contest and buy all the meat for the contest. Uh, you want to know what you want to cook on. And um, anyhow, whether you're going to do competitions or not, this is a wonderful cooker. It'll cost you roughly 300 bucks, a little bit less, delivered right to your door. And it takes up a very small footprint. It comes with, and now the meat is hung in this from two rods. It's not sitting on a grate. It's hanging. And um, you get eight hooks with this. So you can cook eight slabs of ribs either St. Louis or, or baby backs, or if you want to use full spares, you could do that too, I guess. There's plenty of room in there. But for this small little footprint, to be able to cook eight slabs of ribs at one time, man, it's really, uh, it's it's great. And I am so grateful that I figured out what I was doing wrong thanks to the new videos at pitbarrelcooker.com. And whether, again, you know, maybe it just wasn't, maybe I just didn't care for their spices and rubs, but I love this cooker. Pitbarrelcooker.com. Go check it out. Check out the videos. If it looks like something um, that would work for you, uh, it's easy to pick up and put right back in your tough shed, uh, to move around, to throw it in your car, to take it camping, wherever, whatever you want to do with it. This thing is versatile enough to do it, and you can cook just about anything you can imagine, including ribs, chicken, brisket, pork butt, um, wings. It makes great wings. And again, if you got a pizza stone, you can cook pizza on this thing. It's really cool. So that's my little uh, soliloquy about the pit barrel cooker, which is now uh, my favorite cooker around the Erickson household. Okay, let's transition over to our special guest this week. He is Jason Ganahl, and he runs GQ Barbecue. GQ Barbecue has been a competition team for the last several years, and um, he really has taken off like a house on fire. And he has gone from just a one-man barbecue team to a two-man team and often has his family along uh, like a lot of guys do or a lot of teams do. And uh, he has started winning and winning and winning. So let's get right into it. Here's my chat this week from GQ Barbecue and the president of the Rocky Mountain Barbecue Association, Jason Ganahl. Jason, how you doing? Good, Frank. Thanks for having me. Are you in the midst of another wild barbecue season, or have you kind of taken a little bit of a a break this year? Because you used to be used to be competing every week and winning every week. Yeah, it depends on what what you mean by wild barbecue season. Barbecue is an important part of my life right now. I'm just not out on the competition trail week in and week out like I usually am. 
Have you sort of picked certain contests that you find more attractive? Yeah, I, I have. Um, but it's not based so much on attractiveness. It's based on um, how easy it is for me to get to them. So, for example, I'm going to do everything really within a 30-minute drive of my house for sure. And then it's still a, a, a goal of mine to get to the Jack Daniels. So if I get a chance, I might try to get on up to Laramie, Wyoming and try to do uh, the Laramie comp, knowing that if I, by some odd chance that I'm lucky enough to win that contest, that there's a, a smaller draw in a state like Wyoming, a Wyoming than there is in, say, Colorado or Nebraska or Kansas. You and I have known each other for a little bit, and I know you grew up in St. Louis. How did you how did you make the trend into barbecue competition from somebody who grew up in a, a barbecue area? Yeah, I just love barbecue. I mean, I grew up around it. My dad uh, was a huge barbecuer. He was out. He had a Weber kettle. He was out there every single weekend and even weeknights he'd get off from work. And I, I still have vivid memories as a kid watching him tend to the Weber kettle, taking natural light beer and basting pork steaks in St. Louis about 20 years ago pork steaks were all the rage and they still are in St. Louis, but you couldn't get them really outside of St. Louis anywhere. And now they're pretty commonplace and all the sport, all the pork steak is, is a, uh, shoulder, a Boston butt that's thinly, thinly sliced into steaks. And so we used to have those all the time in St. Louis. And I have these really great memories of my dad tending to his rubber kettle, making, uh, pork steaks, basting them in uh, natural light, and then finishing off with Mall's barbecue sauce. And I don't know if anyone's ever heard of Mall's barbecue sauce outside of St. Louis, but that was a staple in our house. Now, when you talk about these particular pork steaks, is that, is that like country-style ribs? Yeah, it's just like country-style ribs, except the way they slice the country-style ribs, they slice them without the bone in them, whereas the, the, the pork steaks are sliced, uh, they slice them differently. So I, I, I mean, I don't know if it's vertical or horizontally, but they're going to slice them with the bone in there. So you, you definitely have bone in the pork steaks. But in the country style ribs, at least the ones that I've gotten and used, I've never had uh, any bone in them. I like country style ribs. Yeah, it's pulled pork. <laughs> pulled pork without before pulling. That's right. That's right. Take me through the uh, the evolution of you as a competitor. When, when you kind of first got the idea trying to figure out, okay, what kind of cooker do I buy? How do I put this together? Do I, do I buy somebody else's rub? Do I make my own? How do I create a barbecue sauce or do I borrow somebody else's to get going? Sure. So the very first real pit I ever bought was a really cheap Brinkman offset from uh, Home Depot. It's one of those, I think I paid $89 plus tax for it. Uh, it was already assembled, which was nice. So I went home and uh, just immediately started cooking on it. And I, I probably did 500, 600 cooks on that thing. And um, what was, I guess, kind of the, the nice thing about it is that it, it forces you to really learn how to manage a fire. It's a horrible pit. It's extremely inefficient. It's not insulated at all. Every 30 to 45 minutes, I'm, I'm tending the fire. I created probably about four or five kind of homemade gadgets to kind of help me control the fire. But it really taught me how to manage a fire on an offset pit. And that, that was really the, the key for me in, in all of my learning. And so then when I decided I wanted to take a swing at this whole competition thing, I, I really kind of looked out there and saw, okay, who's competing and who's doing well? And when I first got into to competing in barbecue probably about six years ago, out here in Colorado, 
all the top teams were using these FE 100 uh, pellet cookers. And then some of the very top national teams were even using the FE pellet cookers. So then I, I looked at those and uh, I saved up and got one of those and I'm still using it to this day. <laughs> Six years later, a lot of guys that were using it at the time have migrated over to the Jambos and I still got my trusty old uh, FE 100. <laughs> well, if I was on the circuit and I was winning like you were, I'd be hanging on to that thing too. Yeah, I'm happy with it, Frank, and I'm a one-man cook. Well, I, I used to be a one-man cook team, and uh, I've had this guy, Kenny, help me out a lot over the last two years, and I've introduced a new guy named Tony this year, and I, I've come to the idea that it's best to always have a second person around, but in the beginning, it, it was hard for me to find somebody uh, to come and hang out with, but now I, I don't really have much of a problem that I've gotten to know a lot of people and stuff within the barbecue world, which is nice, um, but uh, yeah, as a, as a, as a one-man cook team, if there's one thing that I can eliminate from my process, and in this case, it's tending to a fire and managing a fire, then it just makes my job a lot, a lot easier. So I, I've been 100% happy with the FE. One thing, too, that I'll add to that that I always get a kick out of, or at least I remember getting a kick out of, is people would talk about um, that they would get the jambos or any offset that they'd cook at 275. It doesn't necessarily have to be a jambo. It could be a vertical smoker or any type of a smoker that just they like to cook at 275. They would say, oh, I like to sleep at night. And uh, I never really understood that because they were getting up around whatever time, 2.30-ish, 3 in the morning to light their fires and go. And one of the things I love about barbecue contests is just the social atmosphere of it. And uh, I like to sleep also as well too. So I'm able with the FE to kind of set it. I cook low and slow. I cook about 240 degrees when I'm, I'm cooking overnight. And I can set it for 240 degrees right at 10 o'clock. And then I can actually socialize and sleep till six in the morning and not have to get up at, at two or three, too. So from that aspect, too, not only do I get to sleep well and not have to worry about tending a fire, but I also think it's a great cooker. Those three things combined are why I, why I like DFE. How crazy was it trying to do a barbecue contest by yourself? It's... And I don't mean crazy and like you were crazy to do it, but I mean, how, let me rephrase that. How hard was that? It's I don't I never really thought of it as as difficult or hard. It's definitely uh, I don't even want to say it's a challenge. In the Rocky Mountain Barbecue community, there's so many great people, and I I, I joined the uh, the association before my first competition as a judge, and I got to know quite a few people. And then when I finally got up the courage to to compete, there were people that were willing to help me. I could pick up the phone and call them and ask them questions. And what's funny is I thought I was really well prepared for my first contest, and I'll never forget it. And I think I've shared these stories to you before in the past, but my first contest was <laughs> it was, uh, it was a big-time learning experience. I mean, I showed up. I didn't have any lights at all. I didn't have anywhere to sleep. It was just pretty much a table, a bunch of ingredients, and a smoker. And I really thought that that's all I needed. And I didn't really take into the aspect of it being kind of a, a camping trip or, or an overnight as well, too. But it was a ton of fun. I met a lot of great people. I managed to not get dead last, which was my goal going in, and it's something I'll always remember. You know, I was a few weeks back, I was looking at doing an amateur contest. It was just one category, ribs, and I was going to enter this contest, and I started making a list of everything I'd need to bring. And after I got through this entire list, I thought, this is exactly what I'd need to bring if I was cooking a full competition, except for the extra meat. I yeah. mean, with all the, the tent, the, you know, like you said, lamps, I would have never thought of that. You know, mm -hmm. I would have went out there and I would have been, uh, you know, using the flashlight on my iPhone. 
would have been a, a big, big signal to everybody else that this guy does no has no idea what he's doing. That's funny. But it's um, it, it's kind of neat. What what would you say is the biggest contest you've ever won? Uh, without a doubt, for me personally, it's the Rockies Invitational um, here in Denver, Colorado last year. And by, by biggest, I'm defining that based on prize money. I've competed in the American Royal a couple of times and have done pretty well down there too. But that's bigger in terms of the number of teams. Now, granted, let me rephrase that. I haven't won the American Royal, so I don't want to insinuate that I, I won the American Royal. But we did good out of, I think, 530 teams. We took uh, third and chicken, fifth and pork, and we stubbed our toe a little bit on uh, ribs and finished 18th overall. If we would have had a, a stronger finish in ribs, we could have uh, possibly cracked that top 10 or even top 5, which would have been a, a big accomplishment for me and for someone out here in Colorado. Colorado yeah. or Kansas, that's, that's a big deal. Yeah, it is. It is to a lot of people, and uh, it was uh, it was a pleasant uh, surprise. I mean, that's that's the contest all the cooks show up to, and you can't do well without having some luck in that contest too. So, I mean, not to take anything away from the guys that have won it, but out of the 500 particular cooks that day, that one that top guy just happened to have everything going from him. He hit all the right tables. He obviously turned in awesome food. But to do that well in the American Royal, you got to have a little bit of luck too. And when I say do that well, I mean like the 18th place uh, finish. You got to first of all cook good food, but you got to stay off the cold tables and you got to hit the hot tables too. And, and that's as much of it at a contest like the American Royal than it is like a particular any other contest where there's maybe 35, 40 teams. Given the fact that somebody goes to a competition, and I want to talk a little bit more about backyard cooking, but given the fact that somebody like yourself goes to a competition where there's tons of other teams, what ultimately makes the difference? Because let's say all things being equal, everybody's cooking the same meats. They've got it. That's, let's say they bought them at the same place. They're cooking on FEC 100s, yet you might come out in first place or fifth place. And what, what do you think determines that? Is, is it the rub? Is it the sauce? Is it the, the pellets? That's the million-dollar question, Frank. Now, I have my opinion on it, and that's the fun stuff that we do at these barbecue competitions. We sit around and talk about things like that, right? <laughs> so, like, I am of the opinion, and this is just my opinion, that, uh, I mean, there's an element of luck to these contests. I, I think it's 80% skill. I think it's 20% luck, and here's what I mean by that is that I can show up to a contest and let's say there's 30 teams there and I, I could probably pick from five or six of those 30 teams who the, the winner is going to be. Now of those five or six teams, that doesn't mean that someone can't win it from there because there's always the person who wins a grand championship for the first time and those are always a lot of fun to celebrate those moments uh, with those people. There's nothing like winning a grand championship for the first time and I always love seeing new teams do that. So when you're there and you see the five or six teams and they all are going to turn in good food um, and they all do turn in good food, at that point, I think personally it just comes down to luck of hitting the right tables or even more importantly, luck of not hitting the bad tables. It seems like in a contest with maybe five or six tables or seven tables, there's always, not always, but there seems to be a table that, that might judge a little bit lower than all the other tables. And the flip side of that is there seems to be a table that might judge a little bit higher than the other tables. And um, until that gets fixed, where there's some type of uh, mean aggregate judge scoring, that's always going to be an element of comp barbecue. And I still love comp barbecue enough to still go out there and do it uh, week in and week out. I, I still think the best cooks rise to the top over the course of five or ten contests. And so, yeah, any given weekend, you, you might hit up 
a landmine and uh, hit one of those bad tables or stay off a good table, but it still doesn't take away from the overall experience in my mind. Let's transition to uh, something a little bit different. There's lots of backyard cooks that listen to this and are subscribers to StoryQ magazine, but StoryQ reaches a broad base of barbecue enthusiasts, from the backyard guy to people like yourself that are on the competition circuit. Let's say there's somebody right now who's been cooking in the backyard, and maybe they've got a Weber kettle, or maybe they've got one of those little Brinkman offset cookers, but they're kind of thinking of taking it to the next level. What should that next step be? Should it be the new cooker, classes, try a contest, all of the above? Yeah, I think it just kind of depends on the person. Uh, for, for me, myself personally, when I first started cooking in the backyard, I, I never dreamed of, of cooking in, in a contest. I just kind of wanted to cook food that, first of all, my family liked, and then second of all, my guests liked, and then it just kind of spiraled uh, from there. Um, so depending on what that backyard cooker is trying to do, what's great now versus 20 years ago when I first started cooking is there's so many more resources at your fingertips. I mean, you've got the Internet now. Where the internet can be kind of a double-edged sword, there can be a lot of good information out there, but there can also be a lot of bad information too. And I think uh, with looking at places like YouTube or the Barbecue Brethren, I mean, you, you find particular people on there um, that are influential that you can go to and you can rely on. There's so much great information there. There's a couple of really good cookbooks, uh, barbecue cookbooks that are out there. I know Aaron Franklin just came out one, came out with one recently. Uh, Bill Gillespie from Smoking Hogs, uh, he's got one that I just been thumbing through the other day that I thought he did a really good job. Uh, Adam Perry Lang has some great cookbooks out there as well too, and I'm leaving out several other cookbooks that have been influential to me over the years. Um, Chris Chris Lilly, Big Bob Gibson, he's got a couple of great cookbooks, but there's just so much great information out there. It's almost kind of like how do you find uh, the little bit that you can rely on? But th those are all great places uh, to start, and then just really finding the one or two particular people that after you try a couple of their items, you really enjoy. Um, but there's just so much wonderful barbecue and so much wonderful information out there that uh, it's not hard these days for people to find it. But yes, to answer your original question, taking classes are great, but there's a, a, a pretty big investment there depending on who you're going to get your class from. And there also could require travel there. But I think for the backyard guy, if they just want to kick it up a notch, uh, YouTube is a great resource and the Barbecue Brethren, as well as a couple of uh, just uh, books off of Amazon. Now, you have a YouTube channel as well, so if somebody wanted to, let's say, mirror some of your techniques or see what you're doing, how do they find you on YouTube? I do, Frank. Thanks for asking. Um, I am on YouTube, and all you have to do is go to YouTube and search GQUEBBQ, and it should pop up my channel. I just started it about uh, eight months ago. Very, very, very raw. I, I never learned how to, or I never knew how to film. I film off of an iPhone. I spent a bunch of time late at night watching YouTube videos, ironically learning how to edit videos, and I'm finally getting to a point where I feel a little bit more comfortable with my videos. However, the information in the videos I think is tried and true. It's exactly how I like to make a lot of the items when I'm cooking for my family at the house, and I, I do think that's a great place to start, but I'm obviously biased about that. <laughs> well, you know, I've, I've also been to YouTube, and, I, and we were just talking about cookbooks, and I have to agree with everything you just said. I've also got uh, a good cookbook. One of the first ones I bought uh, was by uh, Ray Lampy, Dr. Barbecue. Mm -hmm. And the more I go through those things, I think you have to kind of look for a chef that, or a barbecue cook that you want to emulate. Um, Adam Perry Lang uses a lot of different techniques. Um, 
And yet you might find somebody like Ray Lampy that's a little bit different. Certainly Aaron Franklin is different. I mean, his seasonings are basically salt and pepper, and then he kicks it up a little bit for for ribs and really doesn't do too much chicken. But, you know, like you said, there's so much information out there. It can be so confusing. How do you how do you kind of sift it all down? Yeah, and, and that's the fun thing for those people who love to cook is you just get out there and cook. And you, and you think, well, at least for me, at least what I did was I, I would basically cook their recipes to a T. And uh, then I was like, wow, that was really good or that was really good and just keep trying different ones. And if I could enjoy five out of six of them, then I knew it was a particular person that, to your point, is exactly <clears throat> excuse me, who I wanted to emulate. And then as you become more confident with the different flavors and the different cooking techniques and processes – then you can really start tinkering uh, with them and adjusting them to really exactly what you're trying to accomplish. I, I'll give you a perfect for instance is I know in my YouTube videos, I, I try to keep everything super simple and super easy. I, I don't get too, uh, too extravagant. I try to keep the videos nice and short and tight for a lot of the backyard or beginning cooks and stuff. And depending on the cookbook or depending on the particular uh, person you're trying to emulate, a lot of those guys may or may not be trying to do the same thing too. So there's, it is. It's complicated, and you just got to find out uh, who it is you want to try to to be like. And if you want to be like a competition cook, then go take a class from a competition cook who's very successful, and, and he'll teach you how to cook like a competition cook. Speaking of competitions, uh, you won. You mentioned earlier you won the Rocky Mountain, not the Rocky Mountain. I'm sorry, the Colorado Rockies Invitational, which was the first event put on by the Colorado Rockies baseball team. Big event, lots of publicity around that. Um, what was the atmosphere like there? Was it different than a regular contest? And it was KCBS sanctioned, so we know that. Yeah, yeah. Any of those big contests, I think, uh, Sam's Club Regionals, Sam's Clubs Nationals, um, not so much the American Royal because there's so many people there. But, yeah, I think any of those contests when so much money is on the line, uh, teams aren't – I guess as social and by social, I don't really know what I, I, I mean by that other than um, just drinking, talking, uh, teams are a little more concentrated on their cook. And a lot of these guys who cook these contests cook a lot of times a year. So it's, it's not, um, it's not difficult for them to stay focused and stuff like that. But I, I do notice in the bigger contests with more money on the line, um, while there's definitely some, uh, there's, uh, I guess joking around and stuff like that. There's definitely a, a, a sense of seriousness in the air that everyone's there to uh, to do well. And and I do think at every contest, all the, the serious cooks are there to do well. But at, at those big contests, there's just more of the, the the ratio of those cooks is higher. So in a normal contest, you might have maybe a third of the teams that come out and they only do two or three a year. Uh, whereas in a contest like the Rockies Invitational, every single one of those cooks you know, they do this all the time and they take it very seriously. So that's kind of the uh, the environment that you're in there, which is nice. I mean, it's it's fun, too. There's nothing wrong with that. The last time you and I got together, you mentioned something about starting up a restaurant, making the transition from competitor who only works on weekends. <laughs> <laughs> we know how easy that is. Yeah. Um, at that of getting into the restaurant business. How's that going? Yeah, well, I, I did. I took the plunge and I signed a lease about four weeks ago. So there's no turning back now. At least I, I, I'm, I am contractually obligated to pay my landlord for the next 10 years, come heck or high water. So 
that's it. That's all I got to do. <laughs> I could sleep in there. Well, they would probably evict me. But yeah, so I, I am totally committed to that now. It's all hands on deck. Um, it's, it's a big time learning experience for me, but I, I love challenges. I've got a really good advisor who's opened up uh, uh, countless restaurants. He's opened up over 100 restaurants. Uh, he's, he's a founder of a very popular um, fast casual brand as well, too. So taking what he knows about opening a restaurant, combining it with what I think I know about barbecue, I hope we're going to have a winner here for the people of Denver and the state of Colorado. Well, you know, I think Colorado gets a bad rap for the fact that we don't have good barbecue restaurants. And you and I have both been to some that are really good and some that it's like, what are they thinking? You know, these guys will be out of business in a month. But taking this plunge and putting everything like this together, how exciting is that? It's, it's exciting and nerve-wracking. It's ups and downs. Uh, there's been several sleepless nights uh, I've had as well, too. I've got a very, very, very tight budget that I'm working on, and uh, I just try to avoid these landmines that uh, can go off that I just don't see happening because I, they just happen. They just show up, and it's part of the process. So while there are good days and bad days, um, it's not all as glamorous as it may seem. But I, I'm very confident in the food. I'm very confident in the uh, guy I have helping me. Um, I've got a, I've got a, I think a, a very supportive uh, family and stuff. So that it, it's they're recognizing the time commitment and stuff that's involved with it and all of that. So I've got a lot of things working in, in, in my favor and stuff. And I, I will be happy when we open up. I think just getting it open is half the battle. But then people will say, well, then you've got employees and then you got all the other stuff that goes with it. But and it's true. Um, so it's just every day is a learning experience, and I don't really know what to expect next, but I'm just trying to do my best with everything. And I, I'm fortunate enough to have, uh, I think, talented people that have all done this before. And there's lots of other barbecue uh, restaurant people that have opened this up before, opened up restaurants before that I've been uh, tapping into and then been having conversations with and, and talking with and learning from a lot of the mistakes that they made in the beginning so that I don't make as well, too. So that's a... Going back to, I mentioned it before, talking about the Rocky Mountain Barbecue Association and the community. Uh, I mean, I've reached out to four or five different uh, com competitive barbecue guys that have opened up their restaurants and have been very helpful in helping me as well, too. So I'm very thankful to them. I'm very thankful for the opportunity, and I'm just super excited. Are you taking over a former restaurant, or are you building something that from almost from the ground up? Yeah, it's definitely a former restaurant. There's a, a big cost savings in having a, a location that's already built out. Um, I found a spot for those, those of your listeners that are familiar with the Denver area. We're going to be right at 120th and Sheridan. It's right on the boundary of Broomfield and Westminster. Many people might know the Chipotle right there in the Sprout Shopping Center. We're going to be just west of there where the old DD sourdough pizza used to be right next to the Starbucks. So I, I'm thrilled with the location. I think it's a great location, even though it's kind of off to the side a little bit. Um, it's already built out. It used to be a pizza, pizza place. So I've got a wood fired burning oven that's sitting in there right now that I'm trying to twist the arm of my wife to put in our backyard, but she won't allow it. <laughs> so if any of your listeners want it and come pick it up, I've got a restaurant grade wood fired pizza oven that's theirs. How about that? Can you give us any uh, hint on what type of cookers you're going to put in there? Yeah, I'm going to put an Old Hickory SSE in there. Uh, with a, uh, uh, what do they call it, rotisserie? Yeah, rotisserie. It's going to burn logs. It's um, heated with uh, natural gas, and it's going to burn logs as well, too. And I'm going to start off probably burning hickory in there and just kind of 
kind of go and see how it uh, how I like it. But I'll either go with hickory or pecan, most likely as the the wood of choice. Very close. Very close. Boy, you know my two my two biggest addictions are barbecue and Starbucks. <laughs> so Frank, so I'll see a lot of you. I hope. I may have to move down to that location. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm I'm really excited for your restaurant because uh, you know you and I live close enough together where I can uh, come down and and be first in line every day. Definitely. You know, I'll start I'll the line and I'll start up. sleeping overnight so we can kind of get that Franklin barbecue thing going here in Colorado. Yeah, that, that's. I would love to do that. No one thinks of uh, Colorado and Denver specifically as, as as having great barbecue outside of the people that that live here. I don't ever hear when I go to different locations. They always talk about barbecue in the area. It always comes up when you're talking to people. And so if you're talking to people from St. Louis or Kansas City or Austin or Memphis, there's always a couple of restaurants that people start talking about. When they talk about where you're from, there's never a restaurant that people talk about. And, and it, is, it is my goal to change that. I'd like to put barbecue, Colorado, Denver barbecue on the map for people outside of Denver and Colorado. Well, if you can be as successful in the restaurant business as you have been on the competition circuit, I think it's going to be good for you. It's going to be good for Colorado, and it's good for going to be good for everybody like me who loves barbecue and doesn't always want to cook it in the backyard. It's like, you know, I, I don't want to get up in three in the morning to make lunch. <laughs> so <laughs> I could just come down to your place. Awesome. And I'll always have a spot for you, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, brother. And I'm willing to wash dishes, too, if, if that's what it takes to get a half rack of ribs. You don't need to do that, Frank. Don't worry. <laughs> As you're in this process, I know you're busy. I appreciate your time today, and I look forward to uh, the first day that everything opens up and, uh, and seeing you along the way. Thanks, Frank. I appreciate you having me on. And if any of your listeners hear this and are traveling through and want to come by, come find me. Say hi. Tell me you, you listen to me on Story Q, and I'll give you guys a kitchen tour and let you try whatever you guys want to try. Sounds great, Jason. Thanks very much, and good luck the rest of the way. Thanks, Frank. Take care. We'll see you around. Next week, we'll be talking with barbecue chef and competitor Andy Groneman. Andy's based out of the Kansas City area, but he frequently travels all over the country for competitions and classes and uh, does a lot of teaching out of the All Things Barbecue store and uh, teaching school in Wichita, Kansas. He's got some great things to say. He's got a, a super, super competition team and a fabulous, fabulous uh, teaching school that um, not only does he teach out of in Kansas City and Wichita, like I mentioned, but if you want to get a group together just in your neighborhood or a cul-de-sac or at your church or school, he'll come out wherever you are and teach the class right there on site. So uh, I think you'll find next week's Story Q podcast to be very interesting and very enlightening. Until then, stay safe, stay blessed, stay busy. I'm Frank Erickson here on the Story Q podcast.